Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Chris Cast. I'm your host, Chris. Joining me once again by Facebook Messenger is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Apparently, I just flat my gums. Hello, Paul. <laughs> and for for those out there who have not been a part of it, I was telling Paul that I was trying to get the show started. He was complaining about wanting to get it started, and I pointed out to him he's the one who keeps flapping his gums and not letting me start. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna just. Dive right into the news this week because what a difference a year makes. This is from UPI.com. Biden declares June LGBTQ plus Pride Month pledges more protections. Oh my God. Thank God. Yeah. Do you remember any mention of Pride from the last president? Because I sure don't. Uh, he, I do remember him saying the words LGBTQ. Like it was very painful for him to say it, and then he started stripping stuff away from the military. On, I mean, he started doing all this, started doing all that. He's just pure hateful man. But according to this article, the proclamation said this month should mark quote a time of hope, progress, and promise end quote for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer Americans. And. President Biden issued a proclamation Tuesday declaring June as LGBTQ plus Pride Month in the United States and pledging support at the executive level in fighting discrimination. So, already a huge difference from the last and living up to more of the campaign promises. Yes. Can't fault him for doing what he promised to do. And that and brings he just us, had a Congress that would back him and do it. Yeah, but that brings us to the horrible political news of the week. And I'm sure you've heard this story plenty. Which the, one are you talking about? The group that has funded countless investigations into election fraud and found none, no election fraud, refuses to support a commission to investigate January 6th. Of course. This is straight from NPR.org. Senate Republicans block a plan for an independent commission on January 6th Capitol riot. Bipartisan legislation to establish an independent commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has failed in the Senate as Republicans staged their first filibuster since Biden took office to take to block the plan. The final vote was 54 to 35. They needed six more votes to get it to pass and did not get it. Yeah, two Democrats didn't show up to vote and three Republicans didn't either. They just and, didn't bother to show to vote. And my question is, why would the Republicans insist on blocking a nonpartisan investigation into the events of a truly deadly riot that attacked and took over the Capitol building of our country. Well, you know the answer to that. Because they got plenty they to hide. Don't, and they would, don't want to hear the truth. And it would prove that the, the impeachment trial was, as we all know, a total farce. Yeah, and they came out with that as well. Did you see that? What? About Bill Barr? About that memo they released? I didn't pay any attention to it. Yeah, there was a memo released.
released from Bill Barr from back during that in the Mueller investigation. And Bill Barr and basically Trump just mulled together to put, to put together as like uh, the, you know, just a statement saying that he was found innocent before the, even the, the, Mueller, the, the Mueller probe was even released to the public. And then the Mueller probe was actually heavily redacted. So you really didn't know what it said in a lot of the parts because, you know, Bill Barr went through and redacted it. Yeah. The truth will come out. So it came through. So it came through that uh, it's it showed proof that Bill Barr was covering up for Trump. Of course. So hopefully, we've got still two full years without worry to keep him from running again. So they can find all the criminal activity they want in those two years to prevent him from being able to run. Actually, they actually they have less than two years. Well, he can win the party nomination and still have it stripped. So, true. The, there's at least two years they've got to prevent him from running. So, the thing is that none of them's got balls enough to step up to go up against him because any time they do that, he attacks them, and then all his all the Trumplicans fall and leave behind them and attack them and then they lose their positions and power. You know, I said power. Yes, I said power. Well, it's like the the Trump wannabe Marjorie Taylor Greene attacked her own Republican say, calling him a feckless C asterisk asterisk T. So, I think we can all fill in those you know, two little blanks. You know where she get that? She got that phrase from. Who? Where? Do you follow uh, Kathy Griffin? No. That's her favorite word to say is a feckless C. No. She calls everybody a feckless C on, on Twitter. Well, she's the one that Marjorie Taylor Greene should be hating instead of following. So, so kind of um, tells you where the intelligence lies there, Marjorie Taylor Greene, don't it? But what gets me is the woman has been stripped of all her duties. She has nothing to do. She has no committees to to report to. She has nothing like that to report to. All she does is twiddle her thumbs all day on Capitol Hill. You know, just uh, just sit there and and attack AOC with everything she's got every day. I don't get it. You know, they, they don't care as long as they're attacking the right people. And AOC Her is and, hated by the Republicans. And, and you saw what, uh, what um, uh, Flynn said this week, too, about um, calling uh, up the military to rise up against the United States to yeah. put Trump back into office. That QAnon-backed... Yes. or whatever it was. He's a general, a three-star general. He needs to be stripped of his general status and that's taken away from him. Well, it needs to be taken away from him. See, that's the thing that I don't get is all these people in entertainment and businesses and everything, when they post something on social media or say something in an interview that's outrageous, they lose everything. Yeah. Why aren't we doing that to the politicians and people in the government? You know? I know, I'm right there with you. So, 
But anyways, moving on to different topics. This is from CBS News. For all the people that are whining and complaining that raising minimum wage to $15 an hour will cause a huge increase in prices, think again. Because this article, the title says it all. CEO pay rises yet again despite global pandemic that slashed profits worldwide. So if you want to blame prices going up, blame it on the greedy CEOs that are giving themselves huge raises while not paying their employees anything and jacking the prices up to cover their raises. Of course. So, Which ones are they talking about? Well, it says... I'm just going to read from the article right here. It's COVID-19 ravaged the world last year. CEOs' big big pay packages seem to be under as much threat as everything else. Fortunately for those CEOs, many had boards of directors willing to see the pandemic as an extraordinary event beyond their control. Half of the 100 largest U.S. employers of low-wage workers adjusted their CEO pay packages last year, sweetening rewards for chief executives during the pandemic while cutting pay for average workers, according to a study by the Institute for Policy Studies. As a result, pay packages rose yet again last year for the CEOs of the biggest companies in America, even though the pandemic sent the economy to its worst quarter on record and slashed corporate profits around the world. The median pay package for a CEO at an S&P 500 company hit $12.7 million in 2020, according to data analyzed by Equilar for the Associated Press. That means half the CEOs in the survey made more and half made less. It's 5% more than the median pay for that same group of CEOs in 2019, an acceleration from the 4.1% climb in last year's survey. So, and there's more. It talks about advanced auto parts and Carnival and Foot Locker. So, I mean, if you want to look up the article, you can read all this stuff. But, again, CEOs keeping the money for themselves is why prices keep going up. I don't get it. It seems like you would want to cut your salary in order for your company to succeed. Well, there was one that did, and I can't remember which one it was, but they announced that they cut the executive level pay so they could pay the lower workers more. And I want to say it was like Trader Joe's or Costco or something like that, but I don't remember for sure. So neither one of those may be right. I just, I can't remember who it was. Yeah. I'm sorry, but, you know, I don't see why a CEO should be making $12 million a year. No, when their lowly employees are making seven fifty. I mean, I'll understand. I understand seventy thousand. I understand that eighty thousand, but twelve million dollars. I could I could go up to two million because they're. I could go up to two million because they have built themselves up to that executive level. But who can't who can't Uh, live off of two million dollars for the rest of their lives, really? So. If they really, I can live very comfortable on seventy thousand dollars yearly. Yes, but I'm saying a one-time pay, you can make it on two million dollars for the rest of your life. And if your company is bringing in, 
Like, say you started this company, ran it from the ground up, you're the CEO of the company now, then yes, you deserve a huge portion of the profits because you got it there. That's yeah, but that's I'm where not you have to get those profits while my people are suffering. I'm sorry, that's not my person. I wouldn't do that. But by the same token, you work to get to that level, so you deserve that reward. But you also have to look at the bigger picture, and that's what I'm saying. I could see two million because that's a reward. Like you can live very comfortably for the rest of your life and never get paid another dollar at two million dollars. So, if you play your money right, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, it, it all just depends on how they got there, what they did to do it, what they're doing as far as the business goes. If they're sitting back doing nothing, leaving every day-to-day business to everybody else and they're making money, no, they don't deserve it. But if they're actually full force into the company, making sure it's a success, the reason that they are a success then yeah, they, they definitely deserve a higher pay because they have gotten there. Yeah. That's like saying a new level employee deserves, say, let's say McDonald's just for to throw it out there. A new entry level employee should not make the same as a manager. So it's kind of the same thing. You, you build up to that pay, so you have to have some kind of reward there, but... I understand what you're saying. So... But we'll go on to the COVID news now because there was one. This is from KTVU.com. I don't know if you saw it. Northern California Cafe owner charges customers fee for wearing a mask. I saw that nonsense. I thought, how stupid can you be? This was in Mendocino, California. While most businesses have made efforts to enforce mask mandates during the pandemic, a Northern California cafe has been taking a complete counter-approach, charging customers a fee for wearing a mask. Fiddleheads Cafe in Mendocino has put up a sign in letting diners know that the restaurant will add a $5 cover charge if customers opt to keep their mask on while ordering. In addition... Those heard bragging about getting vaccinated will face an additional $5 fee, the sign noted in fine print. So, not only do they not want you to wear a mask and spread this, they don't want you to get vaccinated. Tell me you're a Republican without telling me that you're a Republican. Well, pretty much. And tell me you don't care about the vast majority of the people when you claim to be a Christian, probably. Like I said, a Republican. There you go. But... That does, there was another article that kind of relates to this, and then I'll go to the, the good stuff after, with COVID, but, well, this is good, because he was, for people who are not getting the vaccination because it's emergency use, and all those people that keep saying that, U.S. News and World Report today posted, Moderna applies for full FDA approval for the coronavirus vaccine. That means if they get it, it's no longer emergency acceptance. It is actually accepted in a regular vaccine that can be given. Oh, okay. So, hopefully they will get that. And then hopefully more businesses will demand a vaccine to work there. 
because people can disagree all they want. A company can require that you get vaccinated to work there. So, and for hospitals and doctor's offices and such, I very much believe they should demand their people get vaccinated to work there. Oh, they should. So, but, of course, on the flip side with the masks, this is from timesofsandiego.com. Three main movie theater chains remove mask mandate for vaccinated people. So, you know as well as I do, it's not going to be the people who are vaccinated don't have to wear a mask. It's going to be everybody in there doesn't have to wear a mask. Did AMC do that? Because I noticed there was a lot of cars on the AMC parking lot. AMC Entertainment. Cinemark. And Regal Cinemas. And that means they're packing them in there like rats. Yep. So, needless to say, I'll be sitting at home with my happy butt not going to the theater. Well, the only time I'll go to the theater again would be like on a Monday afternoon around 3 o'clock on my day off. Where there's nobody in there. That's the only time I'll go. But also, beyond the mask mandate thing... They did have the record-setting box office for the pandemic this past weekend, which we'll talk about on the second half when we do the top. Well, 10. I mean, it is a it is a Memorial uh, Day Memorial Day weekend. It is, yeah. So, but in direct contrast to the Mendocino Cafe that was finding people for masks and vaccinations, I love this story. This is from the dailymail.co.uk. I don't know if you saw it. Florida punk rock gig to charge vaccinated people $18 a ticket and non-vaccinated people $999.99. I am all for this. Like, let's charge people who refuse to do the right thing more. Make them pay. And you know what? The the beauty of it is, they won't pay. So I can go and be around all kinds of vaccinated people and not have to worry because the people who refuse to get vaccinated won't pay for those prices. Not unless you're stupid. But the drawback is, as it says in the headline, but could fall foul of Governor DeSantis' strict anti-COVID passport laws. So, I don't really think... Governor DeSantis is nothing but Trump's dick. That's all he is. Well, I don't think he could stop it because they can charge whatever prices they want for their show. Oh, they can do anything they want to. It's their show. That's like saying... Like Madonna or the Rolling Stones or Garth Brooks or whoever you want to use in the analogy that comes in concert. That's like saying they can't charge $500 a ticket if they want to, if they can make the money off of it. So, yeah, this... Madonna has and she'll do it again. <laughs> well, the those three that I mentioned do very well in concerts. And that's why I picked those three off the top of my head. Because each one of them can demand top dollar for their concerts. 
for the simple fact that they, they make it. Madonna, Madonna, Garth Brooks, and who else? The Rolling Stones. Oh. I mean, I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones, I'm not a fan of Garth Brooks, but I can clearly see when they sell tickets, they sell a lot of tickets, and people Garth pay Brooks money for them. If you ask me, Garth Brooks is kind of a has-been, but... but I'm, like I said, I'm just using those as an example because they have people willing to pay those prices, so they can charge them if they want. It's their show. Same thing with this punk rock band. If they want to charge $999.99 for a ticket for somebody who's not vaccinated, there's no reason why they can't. I'll tell you what else could do that would be Taylor Swift. Yeah? She can charge anything she wants. Mm. But she wouldn't do that. She loves her fans. Yeah. So. Um, it's, I'm just saying, it's just as an example, it's the same kind of thing. Charging for vaccination, not vaccination, is the same thing as charging outrageous prices for your seats regardless. So, yeah. And also this week, NPR.org posted a vaccine patch could someday be an ouchless option. And really? That's the, interesting. Basically, it's like a nicotine patch. And they, they said in the article that it basically feels like Pushing Velcro into your skin. That's all the pain it is. So, that might be another option that gets people to vaccinate more than what they are now. But enough of that kind of news. Let's talk about a new species that was discovered and one that was found again. First up is IFL Science. Extinct giant otter spotted in Argentina for the first time in 30 years. So we talked it about... It was like the, in a reef. Wasn't it kind of like in a reef and they saw the picture of it or something? Uh, the picture I have is literally in the middle of the water. Looks like it's on a tree stump or something. No, I think that's just the neck. It's hard to see in this picture the way it is, but because it looks like its head is, its nose is pointed up. But after the rediscovery of the Galapagos turtle last week, we get a rediscovery of the giant otter this week. So hopefully, there's plenty more of them. And. Also, this week, this is from... Oh, did you... Oh, there's another one that got found. Did you see that one, the chocolate frog? That's what I was getting ready to talk about. This is from theguardian.com. Oh. Australian scientist discovers chocolate frog in New Guinea swamps. Latoria mira has been declared a new species, despite looking very similar to the Australian green tree frog. Which, obviously, they're completely different colors, so... Yeah, that chocolate frog looks fake. It is so cool. Yeah. It looks like a glass frog. It's so cool looking. You know, it looks like it's like an artwork. And it's got them big old round fingertips, like the E.T. finger. And the, the green tree frog 
I've got an adorable little picture of it. Its eyes are nearly closed. It's resting on an arm or something. But, so, always good to see new species, and always great to see species return. And, also today, I don't know if you saw it, I didn't pull up the article, but did you see the video of the girl that pushed the bear off of the fence to save her dogs? Yes, on TikTok, I saw it on TikTok. Like, literally, I can't. There's no words to describe that thing. You have to watch she it. She snatched. She whenever that dog, whenever her main dog got swarped, that, that bear kept swarping at it. And that third time, and it finally made a contact on that dog's face, and you heard it go like that, and it took off running. She ran out there, and that, and the bear grabbed up her little dog. Did you see that? No, because it, it was off camera where I saw. Yeah. It, it actually ended up snatching up her little dog, and she went out there and popped it out of its hands and then pushed it off the wall. I'm like, who does that? I mean, really? She, I cannot believe she pushed that bear off that wall. Yeah, and apparently the bear had cubs with it, too. And so. Well, yeah, at the very beginning, it shows the bear, the cubs are on the wall with her. And as the dogs go running out the barking, the cubs scurry off to the right, off the wall, and out of sight. And the bear's standing there defending, kind of like defending the cubs. Yeah. But the cubs are nowhere to be seen at that point. Sorry, the computer just started playing music. There's an ad pop-up on the article. Yeah. But, so, but yeah, that's cool. I... I I just, I keep thinking as like, what would you do in that kind of situation where you see your dogs being attacked by a bear? I don't know. I don't know if I would just stand there in horror or okay. just like yell at the bear at the top of my lungs. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would go over there and physically push it. I don't know. I would have the guts to do that. Yes, I, I don't know, but. Glad that everything turned out all right, but it could have been a very, very deadly situation. Yeah, could you imagine the adrenaline going through her as she ran out through there? Yeah. And she is only 17 years old. Yeah, and she, I saw some of her quotes, and she couldn't even believe that she did it. So, it was just, she's going to be a good mama one day, that's all I got to say. She timed it perfectly, because I watched that on TikTok probably about 20 times. Because you can pause it and stop it on TikTok and watch what happened. Whenever she timed it perfectly, when that bear had turned its head down and looked over to the right, that's when she ran out. It's like as she was running out, that bear turned its head like this, and it was just perfect when she hit that bear then. Because that bear's head was kind of turned away from her, looking to the right. I think to look at her babies to see if the babies were okay. And that's when she shoved it. And, but like I said, she's got such an amazing instinct that she's going to be an amazing mom. So, oh, she's an amazing pet mom right now. You yeah. know those. You know she's probably tending to that per for that poor fur baby that's got it. has got his face warped with those claws. Yep. And I'm sure they're looking into possibilities of deflecting the bears from the area now too. But. 
because that would be your first instinct is after everything's said and done, how do we get rid of the bear and prevent it from ever coming back? Yeah, and it looked like it wasn't just like in, you know, in the, I would understand if it was like in the country where she lives, you know, but that didn't look like it was in the country. It looked like it was kind of in the city. It was, it, it was California and it was a, a brick or some kind of fence that had, it wasn't it was like a, a chain link fence. It had actual footing where you could get on top oh, of it. And yeah, a ledge. It had a ledge on it. So, I don't know where it was. It wasn't a very big backyard, so obviously it was a more developed area. See the, see the music. Do, 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 do. Wonder Woman! She's Wonder, Wonder Woman! She definitely, she definitely has my respect for saving those dogs. That's all I'm going to say. But, <laughs> but anyways, moving on. From abcnews.go.com Risk of brain-eating amoeba, flesh-eating bacteria may increase due to climate change. So again, this is something the Republicans and their supporters will deny because it deals with climate change. But again, issues of climate change causing major problems for us. So... It says, The sweltering summer heat may send swimmers diving headfirst into the nearest body of water... But climate change may contribute or may contribute to life-threatening risks for swimmers as waterborne pathogens thrive and multiply faster in increasingly warming waters, experts said. But as we saw, we don't pay attention to what the scientists actually say, even though they know what they're talking about and study this all their lives. So it'll get ignored and people won't care, but it's a definite reason to not contribute to climate change. And did you have any regular news before I get into the entertainment? Um, not that I can think of. I mean, we, we both, I mean, I remember the chocolate frog and, um, that's all I can remember. That's all it is. Uh, if there's anything else, I'll, I'll blurt it out. So, the first thing I think you'll be as excited about as I am, this is from IGN.com. Black Panther, and I'm probably going to butcher her name, just sorry in advance, Denai Guerrera's Okoye confirmed for Disney Plus series. I saw that last week. Uh, this was posted May 27th and updated May 28th on this article. It says, according to the Hollywood yeah, Reporter's list of powerful that. lawyers in entertainment, Guerrera has signed a deal that will see her return as the Dora Milaje General. Well, I saw something about a, um, I saw something about a animated series they're coming out with. I don't know anything about that, but this is a live-action Black Panther TV series. I'm pretty sure I saw something about a Black Panther animated series that's working on as well. And I'll look that up while you're talking. And you know, they they could... This is who I wanted them to take into the role of Black Panther was Okoye. Because she was fierce. And she would have made an excellent Black Panther with her abilities. 
Like she wouldn't need the suit so much just from what she could do. Now, which one is she? She was the main general. You talking about the bald one? Yes. Yeah, I like her. She's one kicked ass in that movie. Mm. She also kicked ass in uh, Endgame. Then what? Yeah. She was in uh, Endgame. She was in the Walking Dead series as well. The actress was, not the character, obviously. Did you find what you're looking for yet? I looked it up, but I could have... Apparently, there was a Black Panther animated series back in 2010. Yeah, I think it was on so that was what. That's what I saw. Okay, never mind. Uh, that's something about the animated series that I saw. Um, that's what it was, so... Okay, don't worry about it. Well, for for those who know my love affair with Stephen Amell, they'll know how happy this makes me. This is from Deadline.com. Robbie Amell and Stephen Amell to star in Code 8 sequel. What's Code 8? It was a film that Robbie and Stephen Amell put together Basically, having powers was forbidden, and they were rounding up people that had powers, so they had to keep their powers secret. And Robbie Amell's character did have powers in it. And it was, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I thought it was going to be better than it was, but I think a sequel is much needed. Because anything with the Amel Cousins is much needed. But he was Arrow, you know, so... I remember how you salivated for him. Oh, I love me some Stephen Amell. But right now it's all in the planning stages, so there is nothing definite. It just says Jeff Chan is returning to direct. And... I mean, this is from Deadline. It says, Robbie Amell and Stephen Amell are expanding the Code 8 universe. After spearheading the crowd-funded original film, the cousins are set to reprise their roles in the sci-fi sequel Code 8 Part 2. Chan will also pin the screenplay with Chris Perret, who wrote Code 8, as well as Sharon Lee and Jesse Lavercombe. The plot centers on the 4% of people living in fictional Lincoln City who possess special abilities and are often confronted by advanced militarized police technology. It's a sci-fi fantasy about the extraordinary power that we as individuals hold versus the technological superiority of the institutions that we live within. The sequel follows the journey of a teenage girl fighting to get justice for her slain brother at the hands of corrupt police officers. Kind of stripped from the headlines, isn't it? A little bit. Sounds like a real news going on here. But, yeah, I will definitely be looking forward to that, and will definitely be watching it when it comes out. And then I've got one last article before the way too many people that we've lost this past week. 
It's just a real quick, sad story. This is from Yahoo News and Good Morning America. Blair Underwood and wife Desiree DaCosta divorcing after 27 years of marriage. And as we all know, 27 years together in Hollywood is like 9,000 years together anywhere else. So it is. it's very sad to see that they're parting ways, but sometimes it's the only way to go. So before I get to anybody or get to the really sad moments, anything you want to talk about? Your entertainment wise? Well, yeah. anything. Okay, well then with that, we'll start paying tribute. This is from People.com. Buddy Van Horn, director of Any Which Way You Can and The Deadpool, dead at 92. Buddy Van Horn worked alongside Clint Eastwood as his stunt double and stunt coordinator for over 40 years and directed three films with the actor. Uh, I was going to say, I know that name sounds familiar. That's right. That's why. Yeah, the Deadpool and um, any which way you can were both Clint Eastwood films that he directed. It says, as a stunt coordinator on more than thirty films over forty-four years, including films like High Plains Drifter and In the Line of Fire, which In the Line of Fire was probably one of my favorite Clint Eastwood films. To be honest, that one was really good, and I did not expect to like it when I watched it. The veteran stuntman also directed three films starring Eastwood during his career. Any Which Way You Can, which served as a sequel to James Fargo's Every Which Way But Loose, the last film in the Dirty Harry series titled The Deadpool, and Pink Cadillac. So, I'm not seeing a cause of death, but at the age of 92, you have to think it was probably natural causes. Yeah, probably was. And... Also this week, this one is from Deadline on Yahoo, Jerome Hillman dies, Oscar winning producer of Midnight Cowboy and Coming Home was 92. Jerome Hillman, the producer of landmark films such as Midnight Cowboy and Coming Home has died. The Oscar winner's wife, Elizabeth Impleton Hillman, confirmed Hillman's May 26 passing by simply saying, we will miss him terribly. He was 92. It says, Hellman would win Best Picture for Schlesinger's Midnight Cowboy in 1970 was at the very least improbable. Hellman was going through a tough divorce. The film was based on a little-known novel. Schlesinger didn't think Dustin Hoffman was right to play Ratso Rizzo, but Hellman fought for the graduate actor. Also, the film was X-rated and dealt with homosexuality, prostitution, and a gritty slice of America rarely seen on the big screen. Because, I mean, that was what, late 69 when that came out? Maybe 1970. It says 1970 here, but I was thinking it was 69 when that one came out. So definitely a much different time period and dealing with those issues because I've not seen the film, but I'm thinking there was no real nudity and the language wasn't that bad, but it got X-rated because of dealing with homosexuality and prostitution. Yeah. So... 
And again, he also passed at the age of 92. No reason given, but most likely from natural causes. Also this week, this one is from Entertainment Weekly on Yahoo News. Romy Walthall, face-off actress, dies at 57. Romy Walthall, a memorable guest actress who had roles in films like Face-Off and The House of Usher, and on shows like The X-Files, L.A. Law, Dragnet, Matlock, Quantum Leap, and Jennifer Lopez's short-lived 1994 series Hotel Malibu, has died at 57. And that's something I don't remember anything about is Hotel Malibu. I don't know. If I mean, I wasn't a Jennifer Lopez fan, but I've never heard of that one to my knowledge. So, no. But it doesn't say who she played on the X-Files, and right offhand, I'm not recognizing her from it. But it says, though Walthall, was, who was sometimes credited under the name Romy Windsor, had amassed a robust list of TV appearances before her final on-screen role in Spree, in Spree, Helmer Eugene Katlyorinko's 2011 indie feature O's and Ones, co-written by Krantz, she'd also landed parts in high-profile movies throughout her career, including John Woo's 1997 thriller Face Off, the 1994 family comedy Camp Nowhere, the camp horror classic The House of Usher in 1989, and 1988's Howling for the Original Nightmare. And so, lots of credits to her, but again, no cause of death listed, and at 57, I really don't know what to speculate for that. Yeah, that's young, I mean, that could be coronavirus, that could be anything. So could be cancer, it could, it could be natural causes, because sometimes it just happens, but Yeah, I don't think that was it because I think they would have told us that. But next up, Gizmodo.com. If you really want to think about it, that would be dying of natural causes. Oh, not exactly. Well, yeah, something naturally. Natural causes are internal. That would be external. It would be a bear attack. Well, if they if that bear hits you hard enough, that'll be internal. Anyways, we're moving on because that's the subject <laughs> is going nowhere. But as I said from Gizmodo.com, this is another voice of my childhood gone. Paul Souls, the original voice of Spider-Man, passed away on, I believe it said, May 11th. But Which Spider-Man? The one from 1967. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size. I don't remember, was it animated? Yes. The 1967 series was animated? Yep. I'm going to have to look that up. I think it might be on Disney Plus, but I'm not positive. I'm going to look that up right now. Uh, It says, Beyond his turn as Spider-Man, who he played for three seasons and reprised once more for the Spider-Woman animated series... Souls played Hermie the Elf in the classic Rankin-Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but as Marvel Legacy didn't end with his web, with the web slinger, 
Souls-voiced Rick Jones and the Hulk's alter-ego Bruce Banner in the Marvel Superheroes, the actual first TV series to be based on the publisher's cast of characters, a legacy he would briefly reprise in a cameo role in Louis Leterrier's Incredible Hulk as pizzeria owner Stanley Lieber, named after Marvel icon Stan Lee. The oldest one that they've got is Spider-Man from back in 1981. No, that's not it. It's 1967. I have it on DVD. And here's Spider-Woman from 1979. Yeah, that... He played Spider-Man in a voice role on that. On the one for for Spider-Woman? Yes. But this makes me want to go back and re-watch Louis Leterrier's Incredible Hulk to see him as pizzeria owner Stanley Lieber. But he was 90 years old, so again, no cause of death listed in this article, but... Paul Souls, yep, there he is. And it just gets harder uh, from there, because... Apparently, you can watch them for free, right there they are. I've just pulled them up, and you can watch them for free online. We're at YouTube. On the thing called Daily Motion. Oh, Daily Motion is not exactly legit. Well, that's what it says, Daily, daily yeah, Motion. Yeah, they've, they've had stuff that copyrights block from being shown. So, but as I said, it gets even harder with the passings this week. Next is BJ Thomas. This is from CBSNews.com. B.J. Thomas, the Grammy-winning singer who enjoyed success on the pop, country, and gospel charts with such hits as I Just Can't Help Believing, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, and Hooked on a Feeling, has died. He was 78. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Thomas. You know, that had a, that had a uh, tie to Spider-Man as well, yep. remember? Yep. Spider-Man 3, one of the worst Spider-Man films. Well, it was still Spider-Man, but anyways. Yeah, but it was nothing against B.J. Thomas. It wasn't his fault, but it was clearly one of the worst Spider-Man films. Maybe. Yeah, that was one of my least favorite ones. But the article continues, Thomas, who announced in March that he had been di diagnosed with lung cancer, died from complications of the disease Saturday at his home in Arlington, Texas. His publicist, Jeremy Westby, said in a statement... A Hugo, Oklahoma native who grew up in Houston, Billy Joe Thomas broke through in 1966 with a gospel-styled cover of Hank Williams' I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry and went on to sell millions of records and have dozens of hits across genres. He reached number one with pop, adult, contemporary, and country listeners in 1976 with Hey, Won't You Play, another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. The same year, his Home Where I Belong became one of the first gospel albums to be certified platinum for selling more than one million copies. Dionne Warwick, who duetted with Thomas, sent out a tweet Saturday with her condolences. She said, My sincere condolences to the family of one of my favorite duet partners, B.J. Thomas. I will miss him as I know so many others will as well. Rest in peace, my friend. And she included a picture of him behind a tree with a guitar. So, was that, you said Dionne Warwick? Yes. 
Okay, did you see, do you follow Dion Warwick on Twitter? No. Someone posted about two weeks ago that it was one of those, I don't know, type of like an Inquirer website on Twitter had posted that Dion Warwick had passed away. Well, Dion, and you've gotten like so many tweets and retweets, and there's going, no, condolences for the family. Somehow she got a hold of the tweet and retweeted it out, and then also captioned it above. She said, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> she tweeted it out. <laughs> well, her psychic friends will let her know. Yeah, she said, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> oh, she trolled him hard. As she should, because. I don't get the the joy of making up somebody's death and posting it like that. And Cher has died a few times. If you recall back in the 80s, John Bon Jovi yeah. died from HIV. And Lex Luger died from steroid abuse. And it's like, it's not anything new. It's been around for decades. But what joy do you possibly get? out of claiming that somebody else has passed away when they haven't. And it's like, um, what is it, the ape lady, what's her name? The what? Jane, Jane, what's Jane her Goodall. name? She, huh? Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall, there was, a, there was a thing that went around years ago that Jane Goodall had passed away, and she's very much alive. Well... And that brings us to the final one, and for me, the hardest one. Dailymail.co.uk Gavin McLeod, star of The Love Boat and The Mary Tyler Moore Show, passes away at the age of 90. And I don't know if you saw it, but Ed Asner sent out a tweet telling Gavin to say hello to their friends for him, and went on to say, Betty, it's just you and me now. Because that's it from the Mary Tyler Moore main cast. And in tribute, I went back and watched a couple episodes of The Love Boat that I have on DVD. And it's also available on Paramount+. Plus. And I'm not sure where the Mary Tyler Moore show is available, but I also own it, DVD and digital. And um. I will say, if you're wanting to watch Gavin McLeod, the performer... I would suggest Mary Tyler Moore because his role was much more prominent on that show than it was on The Love Boat. But you you also have to look at the success he had in those two shows because Mary Tyler Moore, I believe, started in 1970. It ran for seven seasons and ended at the start of 1977. In September of 1977, The Love Boat premiered and ran for nine seasons. So that was 16 seasons that he was on our screens every week. I, I remember him. Um, didn't, didn't we talk about this earlier on a show before that they're bringing back a, some form of the love boat? Uh, they've, they did love boat the next wave at one point, and then I think they've talked about remaking the love boat again. I know they're working on a remake of Fantasy Island. We did talk about that. Maybe it was Fantasy Island I was thinking about. But, that's what it is, Fantasy Island. It, 
says, according to both C and Devor, the beloved star's death was not related to COVID-19, so apparently it was natural causes. It says, Gavin's ex-wife, Joan Devor, revealed further details to the news outlet, confirming that McLeod had been hospitalized over the past few months with various illnesses, though his actual cause of death was unclear. And so... As Murray Slaughter or as Captain Steubing, you had to love him. And that brings us to the end of the first part this week. And Paul had some personal issues going on, so he did not pick a movie this week. We're going to review The Conjuring, as we just said last week. And we're going to talk about Modoc, and I'm going to also discuss the second half of Lucifer and try to not spoil anything, but I did get to watch the second half of Lucifer this week, so that's what we will be talking about, as well as the current weekend results at the box office. So stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Starting off, the as we mentioned earlier, the box office has its best pandemic weekend. So right into it. At number 10, the re-release of World War Z brought in $448,000. Number 9, in its second week of release, Dream Horse, $639,636. Third week in release, at number 8... Those Who Wish Me Dead brought in $720,000 for just under $7 million total so far. Number 7, with $1,060,000. Ninth week in release, Godzilla vs. Kong, still pulling in millions of dollars. How much? $1,060,000 is the estimate after nine weeks of release. I wonder if it's still playing Hickory. Most likely. Uh, number six. After six weeks in release, Demon Slayer Mugen Train. $1,579,000. Number five. And I believe it was two last week because they're not given any of last week's numbers on here. But number five. After three weeks in release, Spiral brought in $2,697,963. Number four, after four weeks in release, Wrath of Man brought in $2,729,783. Number three, after 13 weeks in release, Raya and the Last Dragon has moved up. $2,841,858. At number two, opening weekend... $26,532,683 Cruella. And at number one, in what I read was actually higher than it was pacing in pre-sales pre-pandemic, opening weekend release of A Quiet Place Part 2. $57,088,948. So, I saw a Quiet Place Part 2's play in there 
and it's got a lot of screens at the one in Hickory. Uh, Cruella's not got a lot of screens compared to Quiet Place. And Cruella is, it's not showing as many screens as The Quiet Place Part 2. There's a lot of screens for that one. And Cruella only has five in Hickory and the one in, uh, the one for Quiet Place has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine screens playing. Well, the difference is on Nationwide because, and it's not screens if you're talking nine because there's no way they have nine screens of the same movie. Well, there's nine different nine times. So that would be yeah, two showings. screens, probably. But nationwide, yeah. Cruella is on 3,892 screens. The per screen average, $6,817. A Quiet Place Part 2 is on 3,726. With the per screen average, $15,321. So, Tell you what, horror movies is where it's at, man. Well, we mentioned Spiral in its third week. Three weeks of release, $20,205,126 on Spiral from the Saw franchise, which even for horror fans, the Saw franchise gets hard to watch because of how grotesque it can get. Like, it, it is gets gory. So, I mean, when I'm watching a Saw film, you can actually feel your arms break. And so it's Saw is a special category all to itself as far as making money. I mean, that that is pure gore. That's what it is. But as I said, as the pandemic starts to dwindle, theaters will come back. And this weekend proves, again, what I've been saying all along. Theaters do not need to worry Theaters will not go away regardless of streaming. People want to see them on the big screen. So, but... Uh, there's per now, I know you said you weren't going to darken the doorways, but there is several films here I would love to see on the big screen. Quiet Place Part 2 I'd love to see. And I still would love to see the Godzilla movie on the big screen. Well... Corella, I don't pay... I don't care for but I would love to see Wonder Woman 1984 on the big screen but I'm just not going is it even available are they going to bring it I, back out I don't know if they will or not but I'm not going to the theater to watch it so I don't trust people <coughs> so I'm not going but I figure first I'll discuss Lucifer because you obviously didn't watch it, and no. I'll go ahead and because let me tell you, I've been a Lucifer fan since season one, and I've said it many times. After season one, if it had been canceled, I wouldn't have felt the big loss. I'd have been like, "Yeah, it was a good show. It was nice to watch, but I'm not gonna miss it." Season two changed every bit of that for me, and I did not want to see Lucifer ever go away. And we're going to see Lucifer go away, unfortunately. But Fox canceled it after three seasons, which is an inside joke in the series, in these episodes that they released. So if you watch Lucifer, you have to know that Fox had it for three seasons, 
decided to cancel it after the third season unceremoniously, and fan uproar was huge trying to get this show back on Fox. Fox decided to pass on it. Netflix, I believe the last day the option was there to renew Lucifer, Netflix picked it up. They did the fourth season. They said they were going to do the fifth season as the final season. Then they went back on that and said, no, we're going to do a sixth season as well. So these episodes were the second half of season five that came on last year because they couldn't finish filming due to the pandemic. And there's been no announcement of when season six is going to premiere, but it's already filmed. These episodes are honestly some of the best they have done. Like, literally, these were phenomenal episodes of Lucifer. There's not a dull moment. There's a lot of emotion, especially the musical num the musical episode, which is the one I'm going to talk about the most. But there's... If you are invested in this show in any way, shape, or form, all I'm going to warn you is have a box of tissues ready towards the end of the season. Because um, you're going to need them. I do have a question. For those of us who haven't seen a Lucifer episode, what's the premise of this series? I didn't even think about that. But basically, Lucifer is who the name says he is. He is the devil. He leaves hell to come to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, he starts working with a detective and helps solve crimes. Lucifer, the devil is helping solve crimes. Yes. Lucifer is super-powered on this. It is based on the Vertigo comic from DC Comics. He teamed with John Constantine in the comics. So if that gives you any indication of the type of character that he is, he, he has no inhibitions, and they have shown that he will sleep with anyone, male or female. There's no limits to Lucifer on that. And more so in the early episodes than they are now, there is one flaw with the series that is really blatant if you are a fan, and that is... For the angels to come to Earth, they had to inhabit a body of somebody who just passed. And they had Michael come in and didn't have to do that. And God came in in the last episode of the first half of season five. God showed up. And he did not have to inhabit the body of anybody who had just passed. There are a lot of surprise returns in this second half of the season. You can tell they were setting it up to be the end of the series from the things that they did. And considering you're dealing with the supernatural, heaven and hell, you can bring back characters at any time, any way, shape, or form, because not only are you in the current here and now on Earth... You're also in the afterlife of heaven and hell. And all of that plays into it so you can always see even more characters from the past come back. But as as far as the second half of this season, I've got to say it was 
easily four and a half, if not four and three quarters out of five stars on these episodes. They were really, really good. Very strong. Does it, Do it. Does, does it kind of remind you of the series Supernatural in a way? Uh, it's a lot different than Supernatural. Like, I mean, there's... They deal with the Archangel Michael and Lucifer and God and Amenadiel. And it's a lot... A lot of it is truly based on things from the Bible, but it's their own take. Okay. And I've talked to people who thought that it would be a terrible show because it's Lucifer and they didn't know if they should watch it. And then they end up really enjoying it. And they're like, yes, this is fairly accurately portrayed. And yeah. one of my friends told me that she didn't know if she could watch it because she was afraid they'd make him likable. And I was like, but if you think about it, the devil would be very likable. He has no inhibitions. He's going to be fun-loving. So And he was beautiful. And... And, it's got one of God's most beautiful angels, I think that's and, what they refer to him as. And since God comes back, there's a lot of father and son issues in this. And that was a theme of the series all along, is his issues with daddy. And those actually play out in this part. And But like I said, it's so good on this last half. And the musical episode. Any 80s music fan will know the name of one of the guest stars in the musical episode and that was Debbie Gibson. Ah, Debbie Gibson was in it. And she performs a number with Tom Ellis in the police station. The episode starts out with Tom Ellis as Lucifer performing Wicked Game by Chris uh, Isaac. And let me tell you, the emotion he portrayed performing that song, as well as the clips they were showing as he sang, were extremely powerful. It is some of the best acting you will see somebody do while singing. I mean, it's really that good. And if you know these characters, you really feel it. And there, I did find one story that's... This from The Rap. It says, Lucifer musical episode. Here's the one song producers couldn't use and how Tom Ellis solved the problem. The song that they wanted to use was Cat Stevens. And I'm trying to find the name of it. The episode is titled Bloody Celestial Karaoke Jam. Uh, where's the name of the song? I want to say it was Father and Son is what they said it was. Yeah, here it is. Cat Stevens' Father and Son, they could not get the rights approved. So, Tom Ellis brought them I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. And he performed that with God. And Wow, that's a, that, that I Dream a Dream is a powerful song. And, I mean, it's just so much... they. They did a performance of the Squirrel Nut Zippers Hell. I mean, there's a lot of really good Squirrel stuff. Squirrel Nut Zipper. You know how long it's been since I've heard that name, Squirrel Nut Zipper? Oh, I love the Squirrel Nut Zippers. 
Wasn't that kind of like almost like a twist on folk music or something like that? I believe they were from Chapel Hill. And yeah, I remember that. They were kind of big band swing That's type sound. So, like, kind of 20s and 30s type sound. But I loved them. They were different from everybody else, and they were fantastic. Yeah. But as I said, I gave this half of the of the season at least four and a half, maybe four and three quarters. And if it tells you anything, the other guys, TV.com, 7.6 out of 10 for the series. IMDb has it 8.1 out of 10 for the series. And Rotten Tomatoes has it 86% for the series. So, very good numbers there regardless. And these yeah. are really, really strong episodes. So if you haven't watched Lucifer... I can't stress enough what you're missing here. And it's like I said, now, for me personally, the first 13 episodes are not great. They're, they're, by no stretch of the imagination are they bad. I enjoyed watching them. But they're not what the show became from the second season on because it was basically building up the characters and setting it up. And it's only 13 episodes. So you've got that where you get all the characters where you know... And then in the second season, you know the characters. There's no need to establish anybody anymore. And it just goes, and the stories just keep getting better. Now, is it a Mar- isn't, isn't Lucifer a part of the Marvel series? No, it is DC Comics. DC, that's what it, it is. It is the Vertigo imprint under DC Comics. Yeah, okay, um, that's what it is. I couldn't, couldn't quite I remember it's one of those. I couldn't remember which one. But, yeah, if you've got Netflix, do yourself a favor, check out Lucifer, and like I said, those last eight episodes they've got on there, they're worth the wait to get to, but they are amazing. And so now we'll go ahead, and Paul can really join the conversation, we'll let Paul talk about the fourth episode of MODOK and see what he has to say. Are you going to talk? Okay. I gave Modoc a try. I gave it a try. Um, watched the fourth episode, a bypass second and third one. Okay, I admit, yes, it is better than the first one. It is. I will agree with you. But it's still bad. Let's see, I was actually laughing through it. I mean, there were some cute parts where there's, they were, there were some actual sexual windows that they were referring to, and I thought, I can't believe that they actually said that. You know, I can't remember what they exactly was said, but it was, anyway, you know, the whole idea, the the robot guy turning into a car and, and you know, them going into a bar, you know, he was trying to get inside the high-end bar that has all the upper end killers in it then he got kicked down to the low end bar where all the low end killers are located and I don't even know if those were real characters from Marvel or not I kind of hope they are because they were so bad it was, I, you know and then they're supposed to go you know you know spoiler alert they're going to they're supposed to try to steal Captain America's shield to be part of the bad people I mean, it's okay. 
it is the animation and it's really good i gotta admit that the animation in that is just it's on point and I really enjoy the animation. Uh, it's um, some of the voices actually sound familiar. Like Modoc's voice sounds familiar. Who is that? Will Patton. Or no, Patton Oswalt. <laughs> Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. Okay, that's the reason why it sounds familiar. So, and is Whoopi Goldberg in it? Yes. Because that one character sounds like Whoopi Goldberg, but he's, it's playing a dude. No, I thought she was the muscle one. I think one. it's it's a dude character she's playing her voice in. I I'm pretty it was a sure woman. it is a muscle woman. I thought it was a dude because wasn't she the one that the trophies in the high school and all that? You talking about the one that they go fall into the trophy case? Yeah, but it was she wanted the trophy. She wasn't allowed to participate or something. I could have swore it was a dude. But anyways, anyways, I recognized her voice. And I thought, well, that's Whoopi Goldberg. You know, so they do have a few A-listers in there playing in the show. And I really do appreciate that. Uh, it's, I guess you want me to give it a rating? <laughs> well, I did. Okay, last week I gave it a one. This week I'll raise it to 1.75. Uh, well, see the for me like it works with the those bumbling no good villains that they had, and and the the guy at the pawn shop that kept cutting off pieces of his body. Yeah, he kept that, cutting off his fingers. He I mean, cut off his hand. He cut off his tongue. It was very funny to me, and it's kind of what Harley Quinn did. She had lower level villains as well as the top tier villains that they had because the main crew was Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and Kane Shark. And Kane Shark was voiced by Ron Funches, and he is just fun to listen to. I don't know if you know who he is, but check him out because he just he amuses me constantly. And but they also had. The really crappy villains from DC Comics, like Kite Man and the Condiment King, and the Condiment King literally had guns that shot mustard and ketchup. So yeah, that's that, pretty bad. That leaves you these outrageous possibilities for comedy. And the and the guy with the exploding bowling pins. Yep. So, so the use of these crappy villains from the comics is great to me because you finally give these guys and gals a purpose when their origins are so bizarre and crappy. And That's when I say, wait, what? Those are real comic characters? Well, the Condiment King and Kite Man absolutely are from Harley Quinn. I don't know about the MODOK, but Condiment King and and Kite Man do. Please tell me that those are people that did really go out and buy those comics. Well, it was not necessarily you went out and bought it for those characters, but you went out and bought the comics because they were in a title that you enjoyed. Like, they may end up in Iron Man or Thor or something. It's just, they always have new villains that they try out, 
and some have really crazy ideas, and some work, and some don't. And like Octoman from Spider Man. You mean Doctor Octopus? Octopus, that's it. Doc Ock. Did he ever? Did he ever get his own spinoff? I wonder. Well, he was part of the Sinister Six. He was in one of the best Spider Man movies made. He was one of the biggest villains of Spider-Man, so he, uh, Dr. Octopus has gotten a lot of credit. I don't know if he's I had mean, his actual was comic he, title, he, but... Was, was he anything else beyond that? Like, did he ever get his own spinoff? I, that I don't know. It, it would have been in comics. It wouldn't have been in the entertainment, like movies and TV. Yeah. But he's a legit villain. So, and yeah. see, there again, Dr. Octopus could have been one of those really crappy villains that we didn't think much of if the fans hadn't gotten behind him, because he's kind of bizarre, too. So, sometimes the bizarre villains work, and sometimes they don't. True. So, you just never know. But, but anyways, that brings us to our choice this week, leading up to what we're definitely reviewing next week. Which, next week is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Oh, it starts on HBO Max and in theaters on June 4th. And we reviewed The Conjuring from 2013, the one that started it all. The other guys, IMDb ranks it 7.5 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it 86% and Metacritic 68. And let me tell you this is a great introduction into the saga. It's... The I'll tell you it is. The that story damn movie is, gave me... I, it's, it screwed me up. The story is definitely strong. The chills are absolutely there. And it's even more that it's based on actual events. So... But the cast... Yeah. You have Vera Farmiga... You have Patrick Wilson, there, Ed and Lorraine Warren. You have Lily Taylor, who appeared in an episode of The X-Files. Let me just point that out right offhand. And Ron Livingston, who was in Office Space. So, I mean, Patrick Wilson was in Watchmen, the movie, as well as so many other things. Vera Farmiga, of course, probably best known for playing Norma Bates in Bates Motel. So a lot of strong talent there, and so many good chills in this movie. And being that it's eight years old, I think the people that are going to watch it have had the chance to watch it. So from here on out, spoiler warning, because I don't know if we'll say something that gives anything away. Well, to tell you the truth, I watched it one time years ago when it came out. Well, I didn't watch it when it first came out. I was too big of a wuss because, uh, give me some background on me. I have lived in a haunted house before. Um, my house in Newton was a 1933 mill house and, um, it was haunted. Uh, there was another ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was very, very haunted. And, um, I would come home with my lights on. I would come home with my cabinets open. I would come home with things moved, um, pots and pans moved in my cabinets. 
and um, it would happen while I would be at home too. So um, this movie was very difficult for me to watch when it first came out because I mean I didn't have like a ghost jumping out at me or throwing stuff at me or anything like that. But I did experience paranormal activity in my house, and it, it definitely creeped me out to watch that movie. And I couldn't watch it by myself. I had to watch it with friends. So the, the trivia on this on IMDb, the second item, eight generations of families lived and died in the house before the parents moved in. Andrea Perrin suggested that some of the spirits from the families never left. Deaths included two documented suicides, a poisoning death, the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl, two drownings, and the passing of four men who froze to death. Most deaths occurred within the Arnold family from which Bathsheba Sherman was descended. So this house has a very dark history. Uh, it's on TikTok now. There's a fam the current family who's living in the real Conjuring house. It's on TikTok, and they show they. You can actually go and rent it like an Airbnb now. You can stay inside of the real Conjuring house. That house that they're showing on the movie does not even is not even the real house. The real house is a dark brown house built back in the I want to say the seventeen hundreds, and um, very creepy looking on the outside, and it's just as creepy looking on the inside too. But you can actually rent it on an Airbnb. I uh, know Paul's going does for not it. Live in, the family does not live in the house, by the way. Paul's going to be renting that house. I can see Whoa, it now. No. No, but, no, but no. Two, two paragraphs on the trivia that coexist with each other, basically. The film contains no sex or nudity, little profanity, tame and mostly bloodless violence, and brief depictions of alcohol and no smoking. Yet it received an R rating. This was solely for its scare factor alone. The film was given an R rating by the MPAA. The filmmakers had thought the final cut had a chance of getting the more box office friendly PG-13 rating and asked the ratings board for clarification. The MPAA said simply that the film was so scary that there were no cuts or edits possible that would make it a viable PG-13 film. The filmmakers did not want to alter the film's tone and accepted the R rating without any appeals. So, if that doesn't tell you the level of chills in this film, then nothing will without watching it. Oh, I'll tell you what. What was it? The one part where they're in the... They're, yes! Well, they're playing that clap, and the clap game, trying to find them blindfolded, and she goes to that wardrobe, and the hands reach out and clap, Nobody in there? Yeah. And then there's that devil-looking girl on top of the wardrobe and that one scene, and then she jumps off and towards the girl. No, child, no. I felt my heart leap out of my chest. Now, this movie will definitely give you the chills. Of course, it is available on HBO Max leading up to the release of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It this Friday on HBO Max. And honestly, if you have not seen this film and you are a fan of horror, you are really missing out because this is a really good horror film. Oh, it's a damn 
our film. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't get scared watching these movies, and I didn't get scared watching this one, but I definitely got goosebumps watching it. There were chills um, that went up my spine watching this thing. There's a couple people I've seen on TikTok where the, well, like a woman, like a, the mom was downstairs in the basement in front of the breaker box and says her girl, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of teenagers upstairs watching The Conjuring. And next thing you know, she grabs a hold of the breaker switches and goes <laughs> upstairs and they start screaming because the lights start going on and off inside the room. <laughs> and you can hear literal screams of bloody murder going, <laughs> the girls screaming and they start screaming from mom, mom, you know. And, you, and the woman is downstairs dying. She's going, oh. Well, you, you, you have to admit, scaring people is funny. Oh, it is. And if you don't believe it, look at Ellen scaring people on her show. Especially... I think one of the... The, the best scare, I think, from the Ellen show has to be Taylor Swift. I was going to say that we've, one. We've oh talked about God, her many times. That is the best... It's it is whenever, hilarious. Whenever she's in her like dressing room and Taylor Swift comes around the corner and Ellen DeGeneres jumps up and hollers at her and Taylor Swift goes back against the wall and falls down into the floor and just starts screaming. <laughs> oh, it's great. Uh, and there was also one that Ellen showed. It wasn't one that she did, but she showed it. It was a prank somebody pulled on their aunt or something. And they set up the camera by the phone, and then they call the phone, and you see her answer the phone, and then he comes in with a knife and a hockey mask, and she starts screaming, runs out the back sliding glass door. He grabs the camera, goes out there. You see her literally trying to hop the rails of her deck, trying to get away. <laughs> it is hilarious. But, oh, it's, scares are fun. It's not fun at the moment if you get scared, but it's funny. And it's really funny to see somebody scared. Whenever I went to, there was a haunted house, uh, you know, like for Halloween. And there was one put on a church in Lincoln called Oak Grove Haunted House years and years and years ago. I'll never forget that um, it was the most impressive thing. They had a guy dressed as Freddy Krueger, and somehow when he came out, he could make sparks fly from his spikes on his fingers on the wall, like scratching beside of you, and sparks would just fly off of that. That, that freaked me out. But towards the end, there was in a kitchen scene, and there was blood and gore in the refrigerator, and we're all standing in the kitchen, and we looked over to the right, you could see the doorway out to go to, out of the haunted house to our right, and there's kind of people in there watching, like on the outside looking in, seeing how he's going to react. And there's a girl come running through, and she stopped, and she said, she said, run, run, Jason Voorhees is on the way, get out. And when she did that, Jason Voorhees jumped out, from behind the refrigerator, cranked up this this uh, chainsaw. chainsaw, and then cut the 
woman's guts and guts fell down out from beneath her dress onto the floor and she fell down on the floor and started screaming oh my god there was a girl in front of me and i took her and threw her out of i'm serious i threw her out of the way to get out of that haunted house i mean i literally gave that girl a throw You're such a wuss. Hey, you know what? It's survival of the fittest. But, but anyways, as far as The Conjuring, I don't know how much more we can go into it if you haven't seen it without giving everything away. I do want to point out that it was directed by James Wan, who also directed Aquaman. So, if you want to see... Which I've yet to see. If you want to see two completely different styles of film from the same director... Aquaman and Conjuring will definitely fill that void. Because they are absolutely different in feel, in style, in content. Polar opposites. Pretty much. Well, another bit of trivia. The film broke box office records after bringing in a total of $41 million during its opening weekend. It stands as the third highest grossing opening weekend for an R-rated horror film behind Paranormal Activity 3 and Hannibal. The Conjuring made a total of $137 million at the domestic box office. So, people like this movie. Hey, did you ever watch any of the Paranormal Activity movies? I watched the first one and it was terrible, so I didn't watch any more. Mm, I watched Paranormal Activity 2. It freaked me out too, but anyways. Uh, first one I, I watched the rest of them. They're supposed to be doing a reboot on the Paranormal Activity movies. I saw that. Oh, here's here's something on trivia for us Carolinians. The production initially scouted a number of farmhouses to shoot in the Cape Fear region of southeastern North Carolina until they found the house featured in the movie. It is located on the Black River in Pender County. They only filmed the exterior of the home. All interior shots were filmed on set at Screen Gym Studios in Wilmington, North Carolina. So that was a real house in North Carolina that they found on some kind of damn river? The Black River in Pender County. Ooh, I gotta go see this. Well, you said it was available as a bed and breakfast or Airbnb. Well, no, that's the setting for the movie. The real one is up north. Oh, that's true. But still, maybe this one's a B&B too. So, go ahead and rate it. Anything else to talk about on it? Um, you go ahead and rate it. I'm going to give it two different ratings. For the simple fact of, one, I'm going to give it a rating for a horror film, and two, I'm going to give it a rating for an actual theatrical film. Because there are two different oh, categories. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Because when you look at a horror film, they're not necessarily as critically good, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series, but they are far from cinematic masterpieces. And so that's kind of why I'm doing the two different scores. As far as any film rating, 
this movie was definitely strong, had really good acting, the effects were phenomenal, and they didn't have to be major outlandish effects to work. But they, everything worked really well. There's, I don't know if there is any CGI in it, but I think they're all practical effects. And they all come off without a hitch. So, as far as a regular film, the script is a little bit hard to believe, even though it's based on actual events, because of the content. And... Have you ever went to their YouTube channel and watched any of their content on YouTube? No. You need to. But as far as like comparing it to, say, a movie that I think is absolutely phenomenal, Life is Beautiful, the Italian film, it's not going to hit that kind of a beat as far as the story goes. So, I'm saying you really can't compare that. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is, if you go over all movies, I would give this one probably three and three quarters out of five because it's really good, really strong. There's no real flaws to it. It's just not cinematic masterpiece. Now, if you go by horror movie standards, I would say probably 4.5 out of five because it's really strong. The script's really strong. It's got a lot of chills. There's no gore. It's just strictly psychological, and they the acting has to portray that, so it makes it a completely different thing. So as far as regular movie, three and three quarters. As far as horror movie, four and a half. Well, I guess i got to give it some kind of a rating now, well, since you did that. You don't have to give both. You can give one rating. It's just, for me personally, that's the way I see it. Well, I mean, you know, it is a horror movie. Is it, is it the same genre in the class of Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees? No. That's camp. I, I call that camp horror. You know, it's just campy. You know, it was it was scary back in the day, but um, it's not particularly scary anymore. I mean, any, I mean, the very first Freddy Krueger was scary. Um, I mean, that came out in 1984, I think it did. I think so. And that was the premiering, uh, the debuting act, the, the career of Johnny Depp in that one, by the and, way. And also, if you look at, granted it was 1984, but if you look at the effects in 1984, and they were practical effects, as The Conjuring were. Oh, yeah. The effects are nowhere near as good as what The Conjuring had. No, 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 no. And... As far as, you know, and plus I said it's campy, but they had a lot of gore in the Friday 13th. There's no gore in the, the Conjuring movie. It's just that spiritual activity type, scary, demonic movie. And it's based on true events. And that's what makes it even super creepier. So, with that being said, I give the sucker a 4.5 for just plain old horror movie because it is just downright horrifying for me. And um, I give it a 4.5 on the other scale, too. I mean, it is a damn good movie. 
so we slightly agree that half on that. But it's, yeah. it's definitely, it's one... I mean, the acting in it is spot on. I mean, you can't get any better acting. So, and... I mean, I've seen each of those in other films and really enjoyed everything that I've seen from them. Because Patrick Wilson was in the one with Samuel L. Jackson. Was it Lakeview Terrace? Where Samuel L. Jackson was a police officer that was basically terrorizing the couple when he moved in next door. I haven't seen that one. Lily Taylor. Tons of stuff with her in it. Dogfight with Brendan Fraser and River Phoenix was one that comes to mind besides the X-Files. Ron Livingston was on a TV show where he was a hostage negotiator, but I can't think of the name of it right offhand. And... He was obviously office space, people will know. Vera Farmiga, if you didn't watch Bates Motel, you're really missing out again, because that's a great telling of that Bates story. Motel the movie, or Bates the Motel series. the... Series, she the was Norma Bates. Oh. She was Mama. Um, but opening, as it said, one 130... Or, Opening weekend was $41,855,326 on July 21st, 2013. So, a June opening is not far off from the original opening for this film. The world or the U.S. gross was $137,400,141. Worldwide gross for a horror film, rated R, $319,513,816. The estimated budget, $20 million. Oh, okay. They made that back a hundred times more. Well, in <laughs> opening weekend, they doubled the budget. Opening so weekend. It was, a, it was a success the first weekend. Yeah, so. it was a huge success the first weekend. So, obviously, they were going to green light some more. And there's been... A second Conjuring movie. This one will be the third coming out Friday. There's been two Annabelle movies. And there has been The There's Curse been of La Girona. There's, there was Annabelle, then Annabelle 2, then Annabelle Creation. There's been three okay, of those. So there's three Annabelle movies. And The Nun. So let's see. Three Annabelles, two Conjurings, plus the one coming. Curse of La Girona, The Nun. And was there a second Nun yet? Or... No, so just at least point. eight films that I can tell you of right offhand that this series has spawned. And that's yeah. counting the one coming this Friday because it's done, it's going to be released. So, so um, I forget, is it coming to HBO Max? HBO Max and theaters the same day, 31 days on HBO Max. And, and that brings us to the end of the reviews. Of course, as we said many, many times, next week we will be reviewing The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It from HBO Max because I'm going to torture Paul with this. Hopefully I'll watch it between now and then. Between now and Thursday. This weekend i got market to go to in High Point. So... Well, That's the furniture show coming up. You got time. It's not until next Thursday. It's a week and two days. 
I'd say you could come over here. We'll we'll be watching it. I'm sure it'll get watched multiple times this week. Well, it don't come out until Friday. Right. So. Um, also coming to Apple TV Plus on Friday is I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but Lizzie's story, based on the novel by Stephen King. I don't know if it's a film or a series, but it's premiering on Apple TV on June 4th, premiering on Netflix on June 4th, based on the comics, Sweet Tooth, and I'm not sure if they're DC comics or under a DC imprint like Vertigo, yeah. but it is a TV series coming to Netflix. Plus, we want to try and get in some Pride Month movies to honor Pride. So, we'll have to decide what we're going to do besides The Conjuring, because one way or another, Paul's going to review The Conjuring. So. Did you want to go ahead and do part two, and this one too? Well, I just did. I didn't know what to choose for this week, and we only had the four days in between. So that's why I chose the first one, just to get back in. But I definitely want to do the new Conjuring. So we'll discuss offline, off the show and figure out what we're going to do besides that. But definitely we will be reviewing the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, next week. Okay, sounds good. So, so with that, any parting thoughts? coronavirus cases is going down and which is that's that's a good news i think the what i heard is you know there's a lot of states doing those incentives now um about getting people vaccinated and what have you and biden's wanting to have 70 percent of people by july 4th in the united states to have be fully vaccinated which i think that's fully obtainable um, then just people need to continue to do what you got to do. I mean, it's, you know. Well, I, I saw on the news the other day, North Carolina is much better than South Carolina as far as vaccinations go. But yeah. it looks like we've stalled because the people who have gotten at least one shot compared to those that are fully vaccinated was yeah. only like 3% off. It was like 48% and 51% or something like that. So that's not a good sign either. That's because we're a red state. Yeah, but still. And they think it's political. I can't well, tell you how many people I work with right now and, that are not getting the vaccine because... They're just not. Well, because ask them, like I do to people, if you're in a really bad car wreck, who are you going to trust? The doctor in the ER or a politician to take care of you after that car wreck? Because it's the yeah. exact same thing as this vaccination is. Politicians are saying no, but scientists and doctors are saying yes, it works. Take it. So... 
Who do you want to go to for your medical advice? A politician or an actual doctor? Oh, I know. But on that, do you have an update on your friends that went clubbing and ended up with coronavirus? They're still sick. Um, what gets me is they never did lose their taste and smell, but their their throat, they got the one where their throat's killing them. See, my throat, did your throat hurt? Slightly, but not enough to worry. Like, mine, most of mine was cough. I did lose yeah. taste and smell and then did the the burnt orange peel and mushed it up with brown sugar and I got my taste buds back. Yeah, now theirs is their throat's killing them, extreme fatigue, and hard to breathe. That's what they're dealing with. I still get some tightness in my chest from time to time. It was never a constant. So, and I did, I think I'm finally past the brain fog from it. But I still no, find, are. I still find myself thinking, why didn't I, why can't I remember this? So I don't know if it's just age has come and there's more things important to me that I'm thinking of. So I don't remember some of this other stuff or if it's still the brain fog. But as far as what it was, I don't notice it like I did. Yeah. That's good. But with that, we will wrap up. Just quick reminders. I don't know if we mentioned it, but Lucifer, as I reviewed it on Netflix, Modoc on Hulu, and The Conjuring available on HBO Max. So until next week, I have nothing more. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.